listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, we're in a new moment and it's so amazing that we get to meet you. And I just want to just say hello wherever you are to people who are part of Red watching this yourselves with friends, family and smaller groups everywhere who'll be watching it now in the live stream and later on. We also just want to say hello to people who have joined us, uh, not just from Red and even around Melbourne, but around Australia and around the world. Uh, It's fantastic to have you joining us. What a moment we're in. And in the midst of this crisis, there's these incredible opportunities as we watch how different people are doing this. And I just had this sense during the week that one of the things that becomes strong in the world like this moment is actually the network. In some weird way, the world has become this global network. And actually, that's what has brought this disease to us. But there's also an advantageous opportunity in this moment of the network where we can see what other people are doing, learning as other people adapt to this new reality. And I just had this little idea in my head this week. What if the next renewal is actually going to be crowdsourced, where we actually see what people all around the world are doing online? So we just have come up with a a way of doing church today that just came to us in a Holy Spirit moment of creativity. One of the best things about church, when we're gathered and embodied and with a bunch of people in a congregation, one of the most lovely, beautiful things is to practice Christian community by passing the peace where what people do is say, the peace of God be with you, and then the person replies. And we do that at Red, where we say, let's just have four minutes here, where you turn to the person next to you, around you, and pass the peace. People hug, people shake hands, people encourage. And one of the hard things at a moment like this is you can't do that sort of embodied passing of the peace. But what a moment we live in, where we have communications that can reach out across the world in a second. So what we're going to do is we are kicking off an innovation right now and take this and run with it. Other churches who are watching, let's spread this across the world. And actually what we're going to do now is we're going to do an electronic passing the piece. So what this will be is almost every one of you has a cell phone, an iPhone, whatever it is, a mobile phone, and you have the ability to send peace be with you to someone else and for them to reply. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a three minutes Pass the peace. And it doesn't matter if you're in the live stream or later on, whenever you're watching this, where you are in the world even. Let's encourage each other. Text people, peace be with you and wait for them to reply and with you. If you don't get a reply, who cares? They may be still asleep in a different time zone. Send messages of encouragement. Send them to people at Red. Send them to people you know who are perhaps in isolation. Send them to friends in Iran or Italy or New York or wherever it may be. Let's flood people with three minutes of encouragement. Because at this moment, as in a sense, our usual patterns of connecting disappear, let's build some new ones. Let's release a new wave of Christian greeting into the world at the moment. We're going to do that. It's an electronic. Can we have some electronic music? Oh, that's fantastic. So we're just going to enjoy this music. A slide will come up. Pass the piece. Three minutes. Go.
Well, I hope that was uh, rewarding for you. We were dancing here. Uh, Chris and I will be back at 1am this morning with uh, Red Rave. Um, maybe not. Well, we're going to now transition into uh, preaching the Word. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, um, I would like you to turn to uh, one of the readings um, from our Lenten reading this week. And we're in the period of Lent, which is us walking towards uh, the cross Easter Sunday, remembering that Jesus on the cross died for us, that all of this is about Jesus. And in the midst of even this coronavirus moment, it is still all about Jesus. Everything is centered on him. He is still the king of the world in this moment. So what we're actually going to do is we're going to turn to Exodus 17, uh, verses 1 to 7. Exodus 17, uh, verses 1 to 7, which should also come up on the screen for you. And I'm just going to read. What has happened here, just to set this up, is that the Israelites who were in slavery in Egypt have uh, now found salvation. They've been led out of captivity through an incredible act of God. And they have found themselves now wandering in the wilderness, being led out of captivity, but into a wilderness. Leading them is Moses. And uh, let's pick this up in verse 1, Exodus 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us your children, to, and, sorry, to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? The people had left a kind of wilderness. Egypt was a wilderness. It wasn't a wilderness where there's a lack of provision or vegetation or food, but it was a wilderness where they found themselves enslaved as people not free, surrounded by another culture with its own gods who oppressed them. God leads them out of the wilderness of Egypt where there's provision into another kind of wilderness where there isn't provision where there's not a square meal delivered every day, but where there's the potential and possibility to encounter the presence of God. But in this passage, despite God saving them, despite God delivering them, despite God turning up in incredible ways, in this new reality, they grumble, they fear, they doubt because they are defined and their minds are still set by the last season. We're at a similar moment. 
The world has profoundly changed. As someone who studies culture and I love looking at the big global picture, my mind has almost become utterly exhausted at the different ways in which our world has changed. In many ways, I think we're going to talk about this moment like we talk about a pre-9-11 world and a post-9-11 world. We're going to talk about a pre- and post-COVID-19 world. This will pass. I look forward to the time when we gather together as the people of God at Red. I look forward to going to busy restaurants. I love to going to full stadiums with spectators. This will pass, but the world will be changed by this. And so the question when you're in a disrupted moment, when you were defined by a previous phase and the world has changed is, how do you accept the gift that comes in this particular moment? Now, many of us desire to flourish. Our whole great theme of Lent this year is this idea of blooming, that God wants us to bloom as his people, to flourish and to flourish in the wilderness. And we use that kind of idea in preaching really before this pandemic hit. And we talked about a kind of wilderness that often we went through as individuals. And so when society is actually stable and peaceful, there are certain amounts of people who through sort of their own ingenuity, their own drive can actually change themselves and go through what Robert Quinn calls this deep change, where they all of a sudden become a change agent, a fruitful person in the world. But Robert Quinn said that very few people reach that point because when the world around us is secure and stable, there's something in us which goes to that just as a setting. We adapt ourselves to our surroundings and rarely do we go through that deep, profound change that leads to a fruitful and flourishing life when everything is exactly the same around us. In fact, often when everything around us is secure and safe, weirdly, we stagnate. So much of our world has been defined by a kind of ambient anxiety where individually we often suffer and struggle internally while everything is around us is provided for us. In Egypt, there was a kind of enslavement, but it was predictable. There was provision in captivity. But where Israel finds themselves now in the wilderness, they find themselves at a new opportunity where everything has changed around them. And they are still operating in this new environment with the ways and means and worldview of the last phase. However, when we find our surroundings profoundly changing. We are confronted with a binary choice of to resist and deny what is happening or to adapt and flourish. Now, this week was on the 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day. And last year I had the opportunity to go to Downpatrick in Ireland and actually visit the grave of St. Patrick. St. Patrick was a Christian who lived at the beginning uh, or in the, during what we call the period known as the Dark Ages. 
Patrick was a Briton who was taken to Ireland as a slave and he found himself tending sheep far away from everything that he knew, everything that kept him secure. He actually was able to escape but then returned to Ireland as an evangelist. But that period of wilderness, dislocation, disruption actually changed him in a profound way and turned him into someone who went through a deep change and then became an agent of flourishing. If Patrick had not been actually disrupted and captured by slave traders and sent to Ireland, that change would have never happened in him. A biographer of Patrick says this, Patrick is able to survive these harsh and lonely territories of exile precisely because he keeps the beauty of God alive in his heart. The inner beauty of the divine intimacy transfigures outer bleakness. This inner intimacy brings his soul alive. It opens the world of the divine imagination to this youth. Consequently, he becomes available for his destiny in a new way. In the wilderness, when you move beyond denying and resisting what has happened in your external world, you find that God may not have caused what is happening to you, but God will use what is happening to you for good. And I believe in this moment, I don't believe God has sent this virus against us. I feel this is an attack of the enemy. It is ruining many things which are good and beautiful and coming against humanity. But as God does, as Romans tells us, that God uses things for good. He does a kind of cosmic judo move on these things which are terrible. And at this moment, we have the potential to understand that the external world has changed and we are being forced into a kind of change. And instead of denying this, instead of resisting this, instead of grumbling in the wilderness, like the people of God at this moment in Exodus, we need to grasp the gift that God is putting before us. Two, have our souls come alive. What Patrick realizes is that while the external world changes rapidly in ways that we can't control, inside, the Holy Spirit in us, God in us, Christ in our hearts, that that actually is the rock upon which to build a house. This crisis that's come upon us, come upon the world, we don't know how long this will go for, is an opportunity to rebuild inside of us or to build for the first time a rock out of which a new divine imagination will spring. A divine imagination that probably would not have happened if this crisis hadn't come upon us. So we see this, we see this stepping into this moment and we see a contrast here between what the Israelites who are grumbling are doing and actually what Moses does. The first thing that Moses does is so primary and so raw. What does he do? He cries out to the Lord. First thing, he simply cries out to the Lord. He doesn't enact a plan. He doesn't have this super clever response. He doesn't write some quick paper on this. 
or set up a program. His first response when he realizes that in the wilderness, he's outside of his control, is that he cries out to the only one who can be in control, God. And this is not really pretty and beautiful religious language. This is literally, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. He feels a sense of vulnerability, insecurity, and fragility in his moment. And in response to this cry from the heart of Moses, the Lord answers. And he says this, go out in front of the people. Now notice this move. If you have a group of people in a desert after you, who you literally think are going to stone you, and grumbling here is obviously not just a bit of, you know, putting a bad review on a website of some restaurant that you went to. This is a grumbling which leads potentially to actually a killing of someone. In a moment like that, the posture that we take is actually to retreat. But what does God get Moses to do? To go out in front of the people. In moments of crisis, when a phase shift occurs, we actually have to learn to act in this really responsive way to the Holy Spirit who goes ahead of us and is like a lamp unto our feet. And so the first thing is to go in an opposite spirit, to obey what God is saying. And in a moment like this, there's also a profound temptation for us of retreat. As lockdowns happen around the world, as our freedom is restricted, there's less things that we can do. There's going to be a huge temptation over the months to come to simply fall away into endless Netflix binges. Now, I'm not even saying watching Netflix show is bad at this moment. Hear me correctly. But there's going to be a huge temptation just to spend this time where God wants to do a deep work just watching endless TV, endlessly scouring the news. Now, we need to be informed, but we have the ability to do what you just did and send messages to people all across the world and actually encourage them to connect and build social capital using these digital tools. But the same digital tools also at this moment have a danger to completely envelop you into an absolute passive state over the coming weeks and months, however long we are in this process for. So at the moment where the world is actually saying, hey, just sit in front of your TV for the next few months, this is actually the moment to go out. Now, some of you watching actually can't go out. Rather, this is actually an internal spiritual posture to take at this moment. So he says, take with you some of the elders of Israel. Now, What's interesting about that is it's go out in front of the people, but take some of the elders with you. Go out in obedience, go out in an opposite spirit. But also there is this building of community of a remnant at this moment. This is not something that Moses is simply called to do himself. He's actually called to take people who are trustworthy, who God's doing something in, who are responding with a yes to this moment, to take the elders with him. And at this moment, as leaders like me find themselves out of control where I can't have the control over my church that I had a few weeks ago. And we talked last week about this moment of commissioning where the church is in this profound moment of humbling at this point in time where the ability we had to do programs and organize and arrange things has been severely restricted at this moment. And the blessing and the gift in that is actually now it's released to you. 
that at home, you in your own way, even if you never saw yourself as a leader, actually have the ability to take your elders with you. Who are the people around you who are pushing into this with God, who realize the opportunity in this moment? Perhaps you're sitting in a lounge room with them now. Perhaps you just text messaged them a few moments ago. I can't organize people like I could three months ago. It's actually now God is giving you authority to build a social circle around you of people and disciples. who are going to be the kingdom of God and who push in and take this opportunity right now. So you need to build Who are the people who are going to go with you in this moment? Now, the next thing he says is, God says to him, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. This stick that Moses took, the stick almost like of a shepherd leading the sheep out of Egypt, this stick, and God reminds him with with which he struck the Nile. And what happened in Egypt where the people of God had access to abundant water, one of the most incredible tributaries in the world, the Great River Nile, out of which Egyptian civilization grows and power, is that when Moses struck it, it turns to blood. So even in the wilderness of provision, God can turn it off. But here in the actual wilderness with no provision, God has the ability to provide for our needs. And what God is saying to Moses here is, hey, remember, you've been here before. This week, uh, uh, Trudy, my wife, we were talking and Trudy's been reading over the last few months uh, uh, Norman Grubb's biography of the great Welsh prayer warrior, uh, Rhys Howes, uh, in a book called Intercessor. And Rhys Howes was praying for the people of God during the darkest days of World War II. Now, Trudy was reading that book slowly before the pandemic began. And she turned to me a a few nights ago and said, it's like it's coming alive. Now, when Reese Howes speaks of what it was like to be a Christian praying against the advance of Nazism in the world at that time, to be actually in a war, when Trudy was reading it before, it was just an idea. But now as Trudy is reading it, there's an identification that actually we're in a kind of global struggle that may come along as the one time in your life you ever experience this. I've never, I'm trying to think of parallels where the world's faced something like this probably since the end of World War II is the only thing I can think of where the world has been united in a struggle. And so perhaps we have not lived through this. Perhaps many of you listening have only lived through the good times, being in the West. If you're in the West, pretty much, yeah, there's some bad stuff that's happened here and there, but we've lived in a time of abundance of safety and security comparative to the rest of human history. But what's happening now is when Christians had a unifying great struggle, when humanity had a unifying great struggle, God came through. And people like Reese Howes at that moment, and there are so many other stories we could tell, God has been here before. The people of God have been here before, and He wants to do something new again, and He can do new things in moments like this. You'll also notice, as it continues on in verse 6, it says this, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. 
Now, Horeb is one of those little biblical words that you can skip by, but Horeb was the mountain of God. This is another, hey, you've been here before moment. Horeb was the mountain of God where Moses encountered the burning bush, encountered God's spirit, his presence, this burning bush where God said, I'm here. And Moses took off his shoes, taking off your shoes, a mountain, a high place, God's presence. This is all temple language. What he was saying is, just as I brought the temple to you, Moses, that tabernacle, that dwelling place, I gave you a preview of actually what I was going to show you on the top of the mountain where I showed you how to build the tabernacle, how God wants to actually dwell with you and have presence with you at this moment. I can do that again here. That the moment when you think you're going to get stoned by a bunch of people in a wilderness where people are afraid of losing everything to provide for them, there can be a temple there. God's done this before. God has filled homes of the people of God in moments of pain and struggle with the Holy Spirit and groups of people with little money, little training have actually come alive with the Holy Spirit. What is happening now as you watch this, as you gather in homes, this has happened before and it's wonderful. When God enlightens his people with his power, when God equips them, when God actually brings his provision, we don't need all the resources or the million dollar platforms and programs. We don't need all the wonderful graphics. This can happen in lounge rooms. That's what happened in Acts. And we are at a Acts reboot moment where God is putting us back into the lounge rooms and he can turn up again and the temple can turn up again where you're at. The presence can be amongst you as it was with Moses at the burning bush, as it was with Moses at the rock of Horeb. And so what Moses does is strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. God at this moment is telling us to do something counterintuitive to what the rest of the world is doing. At a moment where the rest of the world is retreating, rightfully so, practicing social distance, we're called to do that as well, to protect the vulnerable and the weak. But actually, as we retreat physically, now is actually the moment to advance spiritually, to not cower in the face of what seems insurmountable odds. When the Holy Spirit came on the people in the upper room in the book of Acts, that's the exact moment when God said, Jesus said to them, wait till I come on you with power and then go into all the world. At this moment, we are being called to go into all the world, even when many of us actually stuck at home. And we can do that spiritually. And God set this up at a moment where we can use electronic means. We can text, we can visit neighbors. At the weirdest moment when we're in a cultural retreat, you are actually being sent out as the people of God and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Grasp and grab this moment in all of its significance. And when we realize that this language of water coming from a rock, an unlikely place, we also get echoes of another key verse that we see in the book of Psalms. It's language of living water, God's spirit, which we see almost like a river tracing its way through the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, which Jesus speaks of uh, himself to a Samaritan woman at a well. 
We are taken back to Psalm 1, which I think we've got on the stage. Uh, so on stage, I'm on stage, but we've got it on the screen for you. And it says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the Torah, the instruction, the, 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 the direction of God at this moment through his word and who meditates on his instruction, his law, his Torah day and night. In other words, Blessed is the one who delights in God's instruction at a moment. When we realize that we're out of control, this is the moment to delight and to focus upon God's word and his way. Now verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Here's that stream, water, living water imagery, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. It doesn't matter what the external situation is. It has an effect on us. But ultimately, what is the key thing here is that we have God, this internal resource of a transcendent, loving God who gave his son on the cross. And when we have that at the center of our lives, Regardless of what's happening in the external world, even when the external world is an Ill, a wilderness with no provision of restriction and ominous threat, we still can be like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. John Goldengay, who's an Old Testament uh, scholar, says of that line about a tree whose leaves do not wither in season, who bears fruit. He says this, at the center, the expression in season hints at the fact that the fruit bearing season is also the one that brings the most pressure. The summer sun is both essential to the ripening of fruit and also threatening because it may make fruit and foliage wither. I'm going to read that again because there's something absolutely crucial in this. The expression in season hints at the fact that the fruit bearing season is also the one that brings the most pressure. Our Lenten theme is bloom. And in some ways, it seems completely incongruent with what's happening in the rest of the world. That this moment of blooming when we're, when we're framing that from the last season, a season of blooming is where our lives are going to go into abundance, where we can visit the restaurants, eat great food, hang out together, enjoy life for what all of it's worth. But we have this season where God led us to call this season of Lent bloom when the culture's turning into a wilderness. But what this verse is telling us, that if you want blooming, if you want flourishing, if you want fruitfulness, you need to realize there's a colliery, there's a link to actually seasons of the most pressure are when the people of God are the most fruitful. I'm going to read that second line again. The summer sun, and imagine this, Psalm 1 is talking about a tree that's in a Middle Eastern, beltingly hot summer, where literally plants can be scorched. The summer sun is both essential to the ripening of fruit so the season that ripens fruit is also threatening because it may make fruit and foliage wither. 
We're at a moment like this, which is threatening, which is bringing pressure. But that's precisely why this is the season when actually the God is calling his church to be fruitful. The easy times are actually not the fruitful times, is the message we need to learn. That renewal probably was not going to come if the West just idled along in super abundance, super peace and incredible prosperity. Kingdom fruit comes at times of tremendous pressure. St. Patrick found himself at a moment of tremendous pressure, completely isolated in barren and cold and windswept Irish hills looking after sheep. But what God was doing at that moment is that in Patrick, as he turned his search for resources to God, forced by an external change of his circumstances, that God was planting through Patrick a seed in the wilderness. Now, what had happened at that time, the Roman world, the global network, the Pax Romana, this globalized unified empire which built roads and aqueducts and had the Roman mail system which meant that Roman generals could travel all the way to Britain into Central Asia down into North Africa up into Germany that that global network system had actually collapsed now that global network system was what enabled the gospel to spread Paul's letters were actually carried often probably by the Roman mail system Paul could travel throughout so much of the known world at that time and the gospel and the apostles traveled out through the Roman world because you had the Roman military who were guarding the roads. And Augustine in his book City of God who was writing at the time as the Roman Empire was collapsing was saying that Christians had this bizarre conflicted view of what was happening. They understood that the Roman Empire was something which persecuted their faith and put tremendous pressure on them. But at the same time, it provided a network which actually provided them with some material prosperity and protection. And so as it fell, people were worrying that that meant the end of the church or a restriction of the church's mission. But Augustine was saying, no, our citizenship is not in this network in this this world that Rome had created. It's actually in the city of God. And as the network fell, God then planted people like Patrick as seeds in the ground. What had happened was the gospel actually was receding. It was actually moving back. Numbers of pagan tribes were actually giving up their faith and returning to paganism. But God had another plan as the network shut down. That on the edge of the world, in the wilderness, in Ireland, planting people like Patrick and Columba, God began to reseed his church as the gospel was reseeding. John Finney says of these early Christians in Ireland at the edge of the world, he says this at this moment, when it seemed like the network had fallen over, the church had gone into wilderness and all hope was lost as a kind of darkness came over the world. He says this of them, their spirituality was that of those on the edge. They were groupings of Christians clinging onto faith at the edge of the known world. It, was, it is a spirituality, speaking of their faith, and theology of the insecure. 
not the insecure in terms of my identity and personality and my self-esteem. Rather, people whose surrounding uh, provision and security on the outside world was actually insecure. And we know that that sounds different from that produced by the successful. The faith, the hunger, the devotion of a church that knows it has lack of security in the external world, then is very different from a church that actually has everything provided for them. And I feel that's actually been us. I've been looking at my own life and asking the question, God, how is my approach to ministry, to my faith, to my discipleship, to my concept of mission shaped by the fact that I just expected everything to be provided for me, to everything to go on, to be able to jump on a plane, to fly to the other side of the world, just to be able to always have things at our fingertips. But what happened in Ireland as God was reseeding his gospel, his church, was that a very different kind of vibrant and raw and primal and hungry and early acts kind of church was again seeded in the world. And what actually happened was this group of seemingly resourceless Christians on the edge of the world in the 5th and 7th centuries, they then re-evangelized the whole of Europe. And they did this in a couple ways. They realized that before them, during the time when Rome was falling, that many Christians had actually been martyred for their faith. And they wished to have that kind of faith, to actually be martyrs. But then they came up with two other kinds of martyrs. They called the martyrs who had spilt blood for their faith, the red martyrs. But then they came up with green martyrs, people who would give the whole of their lives, not dying, not passing away, but to actually prayer. And so many of the great cities of Ireland now actually were founded by just one guy going and praying and going so deep with God on the edge of the world, like interceding for Europe that it would not be overtaken by the dark forces of paganism, that people then were drawn to them in the magnetic sense of the devotion of their faith. And so the green martyrs gave themselves to prayer. Now, some of you are watching this and you are isolated in your homes. Some of you are even worried that you're infected. Some of you watching are infected. Some of you are in vulnerable age groups where you would love to be at church this morning, but you're actually having to protect yourself. And I want to extend to you at this moment the invitation to become a green martyr during the duration of this pandemic. You will have more time and space than you've ever had before to pray. Step into that moment. Step into prayer. On Tuesday, we will again be be joining together in a live stream. One of my great hopes for this moment is that God unleashes in the world a movement of prayer and worship in homes that we have never seen before. Prayer always precedes revival and renewal. We need to pray at this moment like we've never prayed before. And one of the things stopping us from praying in the contemporary world is distractions and options. Many of you now, like those Celtic hermits on the edge of the world, now find yourself at a moment where you can pray like you've never prayed before. In fact, I invite you to consecrate your prayer for this, yourself to prayer for this season. You may feel that you are physically weak and possibly compromised, but step into the muscularity and strength and power that is found in prayer and the kingdom of God. The second group in Ireland were what they called the white martyrs. The white martyrs were those who were not called to prayer. They were supported by the prayer. But this group was actually sent into mission. 
they would literally, as the network had broken down, they didn't have, you know, safe roads. They didn't have a Roman army protecting them from bandits and brigands. So literally what they did was they created these little boats uh, and they were called coracles. This tiny, they could fit here just on this stage. And they would literally put themselves into sea and let the currents of the sea take them where they may fall. And if you look at the cities of Europe, so many of them were actually studied. Turin, which is suffering at the moment. Tours in France with St. Martin. These places actually started as Celtic missionaries would go out and start a community there of prayer and worship and mission. Some of you who are healthy, who are young, now have an invitation to actually at this moment become a white martyr to go and serve your community, to pray for others, to go into the front lines if you're an emergency responder, to check on your elderly neighbours, to build community, to invite people over to your house. You are being sent out on mission at this time when seemingly the world is withdrawing. What a moment. What a receding of the church. God seemingly has taken away a lot of our resources and capacity at this time. But what if when we look at this through the reality of this phase, not the last phase, and grasp this moment for what it is, what if this is actually God's moment of reseeding the gospel in the world, of restarting and rebooting so that his renewal and revival can come? I invite you to stand with me. Let's pray. God, at this moment, we recognize and we confess that perhaps our faith and our practice, our spirituality has been one of the secure. Not necessarily even secure in you, but secure that we can order something on Amazon and presume it's going to turn up on our door. We can presume to fly anywhere in the world. We can presume that our workplaces are still going to be there. That We just presume all these things. We just took security for granted. But now, Father, as the world externally seems insecure, I pray that at this difficult moment, as we find ourselves in a new kind of wilderness, that you birth in us a faith and spirituality that comes from external insecurity, but internal security in you. You are the rock. You are our provider. You are our warrior, God. You are the lion of Judah going forward into the world. And God, like you did in Ireland centuries ago, where you reseeded your church, ordinary people, devoted to the simplicity, the acts reality of prayer and mission, of presence and power in households, of one person cut off from friends, family, but of closeness to you. Do something wonderful in the midst of this. God, we desperately want this thing to stop. We don't want people to fear for their physical health. We don't want jobs to be lost. We don't want a recession, a depression, a pandemic, a societal overloading of our hospitals. God, we want this to stop. But we also realize that in the midst of this, there's an invitation to step into as your church in the world at this moment. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come now as people watch in the live stream or in the hours to come, wherever they are in the world, one person or 10 people in a house, practicing social distancing. Holy Spirit, come in this moment. Come here as where we are recording. Come into the houses. Holy Spirit, come.
Take away our fear. Replace it with faith. Place all our security in you, not in the world. You're our rock. Help us to take up our staff in faith and hit the Hit the rock and expect living water to come flowing out, even in a moment like this, Jesus. We thank you. You've done this before with your people. You did it in Ireland. You did it with retails in World War II. You're going to do it again, Father. So do it again in our time. Birth something flourishing and blooming and fruitful in the season of pressure. We pray in your name.